Like the daughter of a robber, Goro Miyazaki is destined to lead this band of animators. It's Ronya, the robber's daughter. Don't miss it. Well, stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writer's Kit Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation um, and awkward child friendships. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Uh, so today we're talking about the new, well, new, air quotes, Studio Ghibli um, television series, Ronia, the Robber's Daughter, which premiered in Japan in 2014 and has just now made its way uh, to the U.S. with an English dub on Amazon Prime. That about sums it up. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. Um, and I think one thing that we want to talk about is how it's different from some of the other things that Studio Ghibli has put out, but also just talking about what it, how it creates a world, how you build a character, how you build it, your own mythos based on material that's come from before just what are those things and how are you using narrative and character to build things like the structure of a world that's like ours but different lots of different little things to talk about yeah so there's there are obvious differences right away as happens in a miyazaki yes let's miyazaki family piece <laughs> so where is Ronya from like what's the source material do you know um i don't but i'm gonna look at the notes that you made about <laughs> the source material uh Ronia, the robber's daughter is um uh, in swedish Ronia rovardator um is a children's fantasy book by noted swedish author astrid lindgren and it's first published in 1981 so it's been a hot minute since Ronia was in the world um, and that's the same author of the pippi longstocking Oh, that's an interesting body of work. Yeah, so <laughs> just throwing that out there for people who are fans of the Pippi. <laughs> the Pipsters, if you will. The, yeah, Pipsters. <laughs> Their mustaches are long and red and... <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so since i've read your notes on this original source material tell us a little bit about how it came to be with the studio ghibli crew well it's it's directed by goro miyazaki the son of hayao miyazaki the original director from studio ghibli so actually passing things down in one of his many and seemingly unending retirements but this yeah. is studio ghibli's first animated series uh, there are 26 episodes in this animated series. And the fact that it's their, their first, I think it shows a little bit. But that's, I think that's one thing that we're going to talk about. The difference between a 26-episode series and a single film. Yeah. And do you... Oh, my thought's gone. Oh, do you know if there's going to be a second season? That I'm, I assume not. That I haven't heard, um, but okay. it seems like something that they they may not do. Okay, it's 
I think we'll probably see this parallel a lot in this episode of Writers Get Animated, but it is a movie studio for animation that has done a lot of well-regarded films and has branched into a TV show and maybe not quite found their footing the first time here, um, which is similar to the story of DreamWorks as a as their animation studio making these high-budget, um, high-grossing films and now kind of getting into TV themselves and doing well mm-hmm. with, of course, Voltron and Trollhunters and some other stuff that I haven't seen on Netflix. But I, f- I feel like the things that are based on the properties they already have, such as Puss in Boots and King Julian, well, they've gotten some acclaim are just not as strong as... I can't say original because one of those is Voltron, but... <laughs> but but something where it's a little bit more separated from DreamWorks properties being turned into things. Yeah, those I think are just kind of cashing in on a franchise. Right. They don't have to put as much effort into making them original for people to watch them. Whereas their original shows, original with Voltron, um, not around in 20 years. Um, That's right. <laughs> they have to put a little more effort into in order to... <laughs> gain an audience and with Ronia it's I don't know I think they've put effort into the story yes I think they have it's it's original to them although there are going to be a number of people who watch it because it's Studio Ghibli yes and I think part of what it is I mean I'm not saying the series is not good I want to say that up front and it's already won an international Emmy award for best kids animation so it's people see the quality out there of it. The storytelling is different from anything with Studio Ghibli, and I believe that the fantasy of it, based on a novel from you know Sweden, is different from the story that they might tell if it had been something from Japan. Now, not saying that animators and storytellers from Japan can't tell a Swedish story. That would be silly for someone to say that they can't do that. But it seems like it's something where they're branching out from another culture's folklore, bringing something from their own culture to it, um, bringing their own flair and voice to that story, but not... I don't know if they found the right balance. And I think that is something that can be attributed to the projects that Goro Miyazaki wants to work on. Um, this is his third project that I found evidence of. Um, I did see his directorial debut, which is um, a Studio Ghibli adaptation of the Earthsea world by Ursula K. Le Guin um, into the movie Tales from Earthsea, which was not released in the U.S. originally because mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Channel had their own Earthsea thing at the time, so the rights were mixed up. Um, but luckily, I lived in England when it came out, so I watched it there. Uh, and it is not good. Um, <laughs> um, whereas Ronia, I think, has a lot of redeeming things about it and captures a lot of like the classic Ghibli cinematography and style and natural beauty. I think that Earthsea was missing a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And then Goro also did another movie that I haven't seen from up on Poppy Hill, which is an adaptation of a Japanese comic from the 80s. So 
everything he's done so far is adaptation, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not having seen the middle one, I can't vouch for that. But the Tales from Earthsea and Ronia kind of lead me to like look at this like interested in European fantasy adaptation, which is a choice. Not that Ursula um, K. Le Guin is European, but. <laughs> And I'm always interested why somebody chooses to do a particular property to do an adaptation. What is it about that ad- that original source material that grabs them? Because usually when you're doing adaptation, not you have two ways of doing an adaptation. You can take it wholesale and try to recreate exactly in the book the way it was, or you find your the statement that you want to make about that source material and maybe tell it from a different voice. Well, I think you have to see something, whether whether those two options you choose, you have to see something that you see a story in that character or world that you think you can tell better um, in the form you're going to adapt it into. Right. Um, this so- is not animated, but I'm watching Legion right now on FX, which is not a kid's show. <laughs> uh, but it's it's part of the X-Men world um, being adapted with a character that's a lot lesser known and not as directly connected to the X-Men movie universe, but is connected. Um, and that's really well done and tells it from such an original, interesting perspective. It grabs a lesser known character and tells a whole story around this character. That, I think, is what I like about adaptation when you find something new to say in that material. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think... There's a difference between you are either bringing out what's already there or you're making a comment from a different avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and Goro Miyazaki, he said, I have a quote here. Um, quote, I was drawn to the original novel, Ronya the Robber's Daughter, because it is not only a v- very interesting book, even for adults, but also because it describes what happens when parents and children, what happens between parents and children as the children grow, end quote. Mm-hmm. So it's about as the children themselves are growing up, what happens to the relationship between mother and daughter, father, daughter, what happens between that relationship. So that's where he saw the story to be told. And I think there's, Using Studio Ghibli technique, they tell that from an interesting perspective. Like in the first episode, we have Mattis, who's Ronia's father, the robber in the title. Yes. Um, when he's holding his daughter for the first time, they give him like the the anime the anime girl like big watery eye look as he's holding his daughter. I'm like, oh, you're like a big masculine thief, and you have like the the little I'm in love eyes yeah. that you have in anime. I'm like, that's an interesting choice, and I think I like it. Which actually does happen, you know, as a father, that, that does happen. <laughs> Your eyes grow five times too big and they like get really shiny. Yeah, that, that's exactly what happens. That's uh, capital T truth on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was honest. It, it was honest. And I think where it, where it is moving from is it's trying to tell the story grounded it it feels at times intensely grounded more grounded than a lot of the 
other Studio Ghibli properties in terms of feeling like it takes place on the earth and not some sort of imaginary plane. You know, it feels very well grounded, but also in this heightened world where things can be, you know, characters getting really shouty and expressing things in a different heightened way, very heightened, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's, and I think part of that has to do with the animation style, which is different from the way Studio Ghibli normally goes as well. Because while the backgrounds are Mm two-dimensional and painted in two dimensions, the animation of of the characters are all computer-generated. Yes. But, Which is a choice. But computer generated to look like they are 2D animated. In much in the way that <laughs> I I don't know if it's the same mechanism, but as the way that Futurama tried to make their computer generated stuff look like it was hand drawn. This tries But they were doing for, like spaceships and inanimate objects, and this one does the opposite where all the characters are 3D animated and the backgrounds are not. Yes. Um, and I think that while the series captures a lot of the Ghibli animation style, um, Mm -hmm. I think that the 3D models don't serve it well at many points. Um, you have a lot of the great cinematography of like, look how big and beautiful nature is with these backgrounds and this tiny character coming over a hill. You have the little girl Ronya twirling in the woods in the opening credits. And there's just like this joy And like, I see the same cinematography that you've used in your movies, the same style that you're going for, but it looks not authentic with the 3D models that are maybe not as good as we'd expect them to be Mm -hmm. based on current animation. And as a tangent, if you've seen um, the 2016 Studio Ghibli movie, The Red Turtle, they use a similar thing in there, which is jarring in the same way. Um... Sort of. It's like they're experimenting still. It's like the same style models where they're kind of like these cell-shaded 3D models. And it's not all the characters. Most of the movie is hand-animated. And it's a weird European partnership with Dudok DeWitt, too. There's lots of interesting things about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the raft and a lot of the bamboo and inanimate objects are 3D models in that movie. And that works, in my opinion. But then the titular Red Turtle is also 3D modeled. And it looks not magical. Hmm. <laughs> and I wonder if it's for ease of creating a 26 episode animated series to have all your characters CG. I'd certainly say so. Although like then they tried to add physics to them, which then counteracts the magic of Ghibli where there's like the the beauty and the moments of stillness and how big nature is and just seeing these characters be still relaxing with each other and then the 3D models have like their hair bouncing lightly and weird stuff happening like the movement detracts from their style Mm -hmm. there's moments where the the characters look perfect among their environments and there's moments where it just doesn't fit. And part of it has to do sometimes with camera angles. There was one time where we were noticing Ronia running and she puts her head back and you see her teeth and it just throws you 
threw me off because you see her teeth as one connected mass of, you know, parabola in her head. Where normally the teeth as well. Normally you would cheat that in a certain way and make it look right to the eye, but it there's something about the it was the teeth. I'm not sure exactly why it was the teeth when she was running around or with her mouth open and running that it was like I just found myself staring at her mouth. Ronia never escaped the uncanny valley. She got stuck there. That's where they live in the whole series. Yeah. Yeah. Also, she yells a lot. She gets that from her father, who also yells a lot. Be careful of the volume at which you watch Ronya. Um, I would recommend not wearing headphones to watch Ronya, <laughs> because you will have to adjust the volume quite a lot from, from just how, how much they're shouting for, for some reason. I mean, that's kind of like Studio Ghibli, like bipolar character emotions. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just giving a, a, a disclaimer uh, about it. But hmm. um, So I think we probably mostly watched different episodes of this show. I watched the first one and then one where the rival band of Roberts has moved into the other half of their castle. and then Which is about episode four, I think. Maybe I think it's a little bit past that. Okay, like seven or something. Um, and then I watched the second to last episode, I think. So I jumped around trying to get the arc of things. Mm. Um, I tried to stay mostly in the beginning to try to get an idea on how they were building and how they were constructing this. Um, because one thing about Ronia that we could say is that their pacing is much different than one other TV shows that are out currently and mm -hmm. two much different from the way that Studio Ghibli films themselves are paced. Uh, in a, in a ish. way ish. I think that it tries to match the, the studio movie pacing to a certain degree where it's like lots of time spent on these individual moments. And then when they realize like, Oh, this action fills 16 minutes of an episode and we have a 24 minute episode. We can either make it shorter and do more or make it fill the whole episode slot. And they've decided to opt to fill the whole episode slot <laughs> instead. Right. Uh, one thing that you get is you will spend a, a considerable amount of time on traveling, let's say, and then the actual emotional thing that happens in the episode takes two or three minutes or four minutes of the episode. So mm -hmm. it's building a lot of environment. So for example, in the first episode, when we talk about world building and creating this world, you're thrown into Mattis and his, um, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not foe, his... Rival? Rival, thank you. His rival, Borka, both trying to rob the same carriage. <laughs> and then Matt is finding out that his daughter's about to be born. So he rides off back home to his uh, fort, which is on a cliff and protected. 
But him going from the carriage, riding back to his fort is about, it feels like two thirds of the episode <laughs> is him traveling, um, trying to get back. And then he runs in to see his daughter be born. And really that feels like most of the episode is him traveling. So you don't get a lot of character. You learn that he's a robber and there's another, another robber out there that they live far away. They live in a secluded area on a hill. And then you get that he's going to have a daughter. Like that's what you learn. And if you thought this was too grounded in reality, that there are human faced bird people who surround his castle, which he spends the other half of the episode trying to shoot arrows at unsuccessfully. Yes. The, the harpies, which are yeah. pretty scary. So you get a little bit of menace in this world that there are things, this world is not our world. You get an idea that, oh man, there, there are harpies, there's magic in this world a little bit. Um, but it tries to ground it. And when Ronya is born, there's a lightning bolt that smashes through and breaks his fort in half, Mattis's fort in half, and creates Hell's Gap which is just a, un, a seemingly unending drop between one side of his, the north side of his castle and the south side of his castle. Um, and essentially, once Ronya is born, you get, as you were saying, the doe eyes <laughs> that Mattis has. And then you get a first in animation that I've seen, which is a mother breastfeeding. Yeah, that was an interesting moment. I'm like, okay... I see why you did this. And then all the male robbers just stand there like watching her breastfeed. Which I was proud that they did the breastfeeding. And, and then, then I got really uncomfortable with how that scene ended. <laughs> because all the, there are two women in the castle. There's Ronya's mother and Ronya. <laughs> and the mother is breastfeeding and all the men, the band of men, the band of robbers just staring lovingly at this woman while she's breastfeeding. It's nice that it's normalized. Hey, breastfeeding's a thing. Breasts are, are for feeding for children. For like feeling uncomfortable that people are watching? Should we feel bad about feeling uncomfortable for them? I don't know. She didn't seem put off by it. It was a natural, ordinary thing. But there was something that about all <laughs> this circle of men just going fawning over this child in that moment it just felt a little bit out of place i'm glad that it i was surprised and excited that there was breastfeeding in an animated tv show for kids but not glad and surprised in the way the rest of the band was yeah absolutely i feel like it could have been a smaller moment between the father the mother and ronya and showed that so if it's really about if this series, as we, as we get it, if we go back to Miyazaki's original statements, talking about what happens between parents and children, that's, I feel like that's where we should have ended the first episode with the mother, the father, and the daughter. This is the beginning of the trio of them and how this relationship is going to change. Mm -hmm. The father protecting from harpies... <laughs> And the mother giving birth on her own because she doesn't want the husband in there. Just get rid of the harpies because they're being loud. 
but it's it's the start of this family. But I guess if if it's also about the band of robbers, it kind of complicates the the message in that sense. It or muddies the argument about what's really where we're starting. I mean, I feel like the show is definitely about the robbers as well, but. Yeah, I, I think it kind of muddied the message that the show concept started with of being about the family. Like, mm-hmm. they could have made it like, oh, the robbers are also the family, but they never really evolved past, like, these archetypes. I feel like if something could happen where they're in the bedroom, she's breastfeeding, Mattis is there watching, they're together, and then you pull back a little bit and maybe the camera moves and you see, like, all the robbers kind of trying to look in the bedroom and you know it'd be even creepier but if if mattis kind of sees them and the mother sees them and they smile like that's something where they're giving them their their separation but not all just surrounding her physically because in in the shot as it is they're all around her staring at her next to her like hey what, what are you doing there as opposed to something where you give give them that little bit of respect and separation. It's a lot. And we are now, Raiders Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation, how to respectfully portray breastfeeding. Well, like I said, it doesn't really happen in animation very often. <laughs> and I'm glad that they put it in there to try to get it away from, to you know, somewhat demystify it as a thing, that it's a normal thing that happens. That's what they're there for. But are we projecting, like, American sensibilities on that? I'm not familiar I guess so. I don't know. Breastfeeding is portrayed elsewhere. And I guess we have to go back to the original novel to see, did she, was she breastfeeding in that manner where the robbers are watching? Is that specified in the novel? Or is that a choice that Miyazaki made? Goro Miyazaki, to be clear. Well, his name is still Miyazaki. (laughs) Goro or Haya, it's still Miyazaki. But as we, as we look at this, how do you set up a world and a society and traditions and make a world feel like people live there and the rules of the world in this first episode, thinking much like the fourth episode of Star Wars, where we, <laughs> where we get <laughs> the building of the galaxy far far away and the rules and the mythology and how that sets things up what do we learn about the world as set up by Ronya in this first episode and how does it change towards the end as you were seeing it's a weird mishmash of cultures like I couldn't quite tell what's going on culture wise like the robbers come in and like these elaborate kind of like Japanese style demon-esque costumes um, but they're clearly like in like medieval Europe robbing this count or something um, in their garb. But then they go back to their hut. It's like either like Viking or Celtic in design with all the rafters and the red and the twirly things. Yeah, the music goes very Celtic in a lot of ways and feels very Irish. Even though it's a Swedish book. I don't know. It's it felt like, a lot. It felt like Brave, <laughs> but also... You know, they're wearing 
near kabuki costume you know it's like yeah it like didn't mesh them together in a convincing way for me it just felt like it was a lot of different other things that never fit into world and not having seen the whole show i can't say that's true throughout um and i do think they create a society but it's very much like a it's a kids show version of society where everyone has like the one role that they fill Mm -hmm. like the old man is always there i don't know what he does in the three episodes that i saw he's just always watching yeah and we do get a little bit of um we we don't get a lot of robbing (laughs) the first part (laughs) of the episodes you really get the first episode where they're you see how they rob and then in the second episode uh mattis is too busy fawning over his new daughter and feeding her that he doesn't go out and rob people anymore Mm-hmm. It's like you need to get back because Burka is out there robbing people and taking all your all the riches. And so you see a transformation in the father. But I don't know if we establish enough about who he is as a robber to see how this child has transformed him into a softer person. We did you see the episode where I think the two robber gangs confront each other on the castle top early on? Yes. One thing I liked about that is they're talking back and forth, Borka and um, Mattis. And at one point they say something about like what robbing actually is taking without asking. And Roni goes, father, do you take without asking? And he gets like really uncomfortable, like, Oh crap. My daughter now thinks I do something bad with my life when we've established that robbing is good mm-hmm. until now. And the whole episode's kind of about that relationship and finding out what your parents do. That I really enjoyed. I enjoyed that evolution. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much we understand about robbing because we spend so much time with Ronya. Like, Ronia is already part of the world. We don't get a lot of the world set up before then. It's not like he's not present while she's born. It's not like he's not present while she's being taken care of and he makes a decision. She's born and he's done robbing. <laughs> he's like, well, that was fun. There's not this, <laughs> there's not a, and of course, children's show, of course, but there's no tension there between I really should be out robbing and how it's affecting him to not be at home. And then he makes a decision because as we were talking about, there's not a lot of character time because there's so much time spent on setting environment and space. And Ronya stays a baby this whole first, the whole second episode. Um, And then at the very end, she ages to age 10 (laughs) in like a a moment. She's spinning around and suddenly she's 10. Now, no one else in this series ages at all. So 10 years have passed and all the characters look exactly the same. I guess that's part of the computer generated models. Even Mattis still looks like, let's say he's 25. He still looks 25 when, you know, when Ronya is 10, instead of aging up, 
Maybe his, his hairstyle is exactly the same. He doesn't have any gray, which believe me, you would have more gray. <laughs> you would have some gray if you had a child for 10 years. I have more gray and I have a four-year-old. <laughs> but also like in the first episode, the old man is complaining like, I hope this child comes before I kick the bucket. And then like time, 10 years pass and he's still around. Right. Like, okay, he's not even, like, decrepit anymore. Like, he's, he's, there's no evidence of him aging. He doesn't have to be dead, but, like, he's doing fine. <laughs> yeah, ev- nothing has changed except Ronya. Ronya has aged. Everyone else has been in this stasis of t- <laughs> time vortex where they're all still the same. It's kind of like Wonder Woman. Like, you just she twirls and she takes on a different form. It's fine. Yeah, it was pretty much like that, actually. Now, I will say this. The first episode does set up that, hey, there's danger because we have the harpies who are freaky. Let's be honest. They're, they're freaky looking and they make scary sounds and they're just scary. But all the danger comes from mythological characters. There's no danger based on the rivals. There's no danger based on being robbers or no danger of, oh, we're going to starve or, you know. Having da- watched some of the end there is danger from being robbers okay there is some that comes in later on yeah okay now i know that there is a did you see any of the gray dwarves no okay so in one of the episodes we get to see where a lot of the footage from the opening credits comes from (laughs) where ronya (laughs) is able to go out into the woods by herself. It's a rite of passage. Here's some water, here's some food. You go out to the woods, be home before dark because the gray dwarves will get you. So don't stay out. Ronya goes out exploring, barefoot, loves it, runs around, sings, climbs some trees, does whatever, ends up on this big, beautiful Studio Ghibli rock next to some (laughs) water. And she falls asleep. And everyone's wondering where Ronya is. How, when is she coming back? It's getting late. And she wakes up and it's nighttime. And these tiny little things that look like possessed owls, like tiny little owls, just start coming up. Then they have glowing red eyes. And these are the gray dwarves. And they come up and they surround her this giant rock, they surround her around the rock and they each pick up sticks and bones and start hitting the rock and making these weird noises and saying stuff and hitting the rock and she's freaky. And suddenly you're like, okay, well, at least they can't climb up the rock. And then they start climbing the rock and you're like, oh my gosh, these things are really, really scary. And then from from the distance, Mattis just comes running in and chases them away with fire that these like great dwarves like you're you always do. scared of fire so um and then the idea is the gray dwarves know when you're afraid so don't be afraid of them that's the what you learn don't be afraid of them because they know when you're scared even though at the beginning they said come back by this time of the great dwarves will get you instilling fear in her yeah yeah hmm it's, it's complicated, I guess. Dramaturgical issues. 
Yeah, yeah. Later on in a in an, another episode, she sees them and they start like going after her. She's like, "I'm not scared of you." She says it in a much louder, shouty voice, and they're like, "Oh!" And then they crawl away, and she smiles <laughs> like, "Ha ha! I've I've vanquished the gray dwarves." Um, but there's not as much menace in the world, and it feels like. Not a lot changes in the world until we get to ep- episode four or five. We start seeing actual drama happening, mm-hmm. where it's not where it's something external. Where we ha- meet, where the other robbers take over the south side of the fort that was blasted with the lightning, and now they live there. And there's another. Borka's son is there, and we learn more about Borka and Mattis in the past, how they used to be friends, but Mattis's father took Borka out and beat him, mm-hmm. which was slightly horrific to hear about. <laughs> I feel like for the show, like every two or three episodes could have been combined into one half-hour episode. Like the one that I watched towards the end, like the whole episode is about Mattis and Borka getting ready to fight each other. Mm-hmm. And like it starts at the beginning, like let's go have a let's go have a battle, and then like the whole episode is them like marching towards the battle and getting ready for the battle of the rock, and the episode ends right as they're about to start. Like, what what was the point of this episode? Like, what happened in the arc of this episode? Yeah, and I think part of it feels almost like they made a huge movie and then sliced it up every twenty minutes. And instead of cutting more, they just added some extra like lettuce and cheese and mayo in the middle. Right, exactly. It's like, well, we have this really long 13-hour movie. If we slice it every 20 minutes, we'll end up with a 26-episode TV series. Maybe we should do that. And maybe if you sat through all 13 really fast, you know, if you binge it, it feels okay. But if you just watch one and walk away, it's not satisfying. Mm-hmm. It feels like a lot of, like, it, you don't get a lot of protein. So learn your cuts of meat and story um, to get that protein in. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch a master class on where to cut, um, the first few seasons of The Simpsons, I think, are a master class on how to cut right. Mm-hmm. For commercial breaks and everything. <laughs> yeah, the the commercial breaks feel like they weren't given any consideration. It just feels like, okay, here's 20 minutes of a thing and we slice it here because that's when the commercial is. And it wasn't that it was building towards the cut or anything like that. And it doesn't feel like the endings were considered with, we're building towards the end of the episode. It just is like, well, we're... This is where we hit 20 minutes and we'll slice it off. And then we have Jillian Anderson come in to tell us what's going to happen in the next episode. Jillian, I felt like every episode was like the end of an X-Files. Don't miss it. I don't believe in harpies, but I found these feathers today. I'm not sure how the feathers got to where they are. Mulder says they belong from a bird with a human face. But really... Aren't we all birds with human faces on the inside? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. <laughs> so, was there anything else you wanted to say? Um, no. No, I feel like I've said my piece on this one. Okay. My favorite thing is that the old man always has dice and never rolls them. He's just always shaking the dice. Yeah. Yeah, I was. What are the dice for? I'm not certain. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing is the gray dwarves, where it actually felt like something creepy and menacing. It felt a lot like the original time where you start meeting um, No Face in Spirited Away. Mm. It felt like that level of creep. And it was nice to have something dangerous in this world. So, I'll have to go back and see that one. Yeah, I, I believe it's episode three with that. Okay. Um, shall we talk about homework for next time? Yes, let's. Next time on Writers Get Animated, we're talking about a pair of Disney Junior shows and how they are combining multiple creative works into their shows in order to um, show kids not just new stories, but previous stories that they may have missed. Um, so we're going to talk about Doc McStuffins, Season 4, Episode 15, Toy Hospital, colon, Into the Hundred Acre Wood. I bet you can guess what that's about. Um, <laughs> and The Lion Guard, Season 1, Episode 20, Lions of the Outlands, which is a reunion of the voice cast of Lion King 2 for an episode of The Lion Guard. So interesting food for thought here. Um, so watch those two, and we'll talk about that next time we get together. And if you don't know about Lion King 2 Simba's Pride, you can go back and listen to our episode Once Upon a Time Again, where we discuss Lion King 2 Simba's Pride. So are, are we now Once Upon a Time Again again? Uh, in this case, yes. Okay. <laughs> For half the next episode. Awesome. <laughs> well, as always, thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our engineer, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find our show notes um, with links to all this fun stuff. Um, if we have any links, I'm not sure if we did this episode, but if we do, they'll be there on writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. You can tweet at us at WG Animated on Twitter, where you do those tweet things. Um, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated. And if you do love our show, which I'm hoping you do, um, you can leave us a review on iTunes because it helps more people find our show that might love us. And we like people who love us. We don't love them. We just like them. <laughs> Great. And with that, um, I was going to make a breastfeeding joke, but I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll just, and instead you said that you decided not to. I decided not to. I'm, I, mostly because I couldn't think of one. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.